This is John Stepling. This is Aesthetic Resistance Podcast number 76. And the first one we have done in the new year, uh, unsurprisingly, since it's only the third. Uh, with me, Hiroyuki Hamada in Long Island. Hello, Hiroyuki. Hi, John. Corey Morningstar in Toronto. Hey, Corey. Hey, guys. Uh, Johan Edebo in Sweden. Hi, Johan. Good evening. And um, in and out, in and out tonight, out at the moment is Varun Mathur um, in New Delhi, but uh, he's having technical difficulties, so he'll probably join us in a bit. Um, okay, so uh, there's a bunch of stuff because we haven't talked in three weeks and Christmas has passed. Uh, <clears throat> in between that time and new years uh and and i was thinking today i'll just start with this and and um you guys can can follow on to this because i was i was talking about speaking at this conference so i'll mention the conference which is coming up in stockholm um the 21st 22nd and 23rd i believe of january we'll provide a link for that um, it's a, a, a conference on the vaccine, on government policy about the vaccine mandates, lockdowns, et cetera, um, all kinds of doctors and, and uh, immunologists and legal people and me um, will be talking. Uh, and uh, it should be very interesting, but somebody was, I was talking with somebody today about this conference and they said, you know, what is your intention? What do you want to say? And so forth. Well, I, you know, I said, I haven't fully decided on the exact focus, but I was thinking about what I wanted to achieve in, in whatever this kind of, you know, rather brief talk will be. And I was reminded of that. There's a, there's a quote from George Carlin about and I'm paraphrasing, but he said something to the effect that uh, there very, I have very few laws that I live by, but one of them is that I believe nothing the government tells me, zero, nothing. And I thought, right, that's, a, you know, me either. And, and I think it used to be that lots of people felt that way. But I thought, I know people who love George Carlin. I know people who, you know, paid to go um, see George Carlin, expensive tickets, uh, <clears throat> and would applaud him and sit in the audience laughing and agreeing with everything he said, including that comment. And those same people will go out and you can talk to them the next day about, for example, COVID. I am thinking of one guy in particular, I know in LA who was loved Carlin among other people you know he was a he's a media guy and this was towards the beginning of the pandemic and he said to me I was voicing skepticism about this or that and he said well but I mean what what referring to the World Health Organization and the CDC so what what could they possibly be doing other than trying to stop a virus hmm. Now, and this is a guy that applauded George Carlin the previous night in this in this hypothetical 
um, narrative I'm constructing here. But I think that's very common. And I think this is the crux of something that troubles me and, and confuses me. Uh, maybe you can file it under people's compartmentalization of, uh, of, of their life and values and opinions. But mm -hmm. if, if you disbelieve the government, if you think it's true that one should be extremely skeptical of the government, why do you then go ahead and believe the government? Day after day, topic after topic, you know, whether it's Ukraine, whether it's COVID, whether it's, you know, Syria or, you know, uh, anything, pick anything. It's it's just baffling. So I'm going to turn it over to whoever wants to to now speak. Um, sure, I can I can go ahead if nobody else raised their little hand here. Can't no, see no yellow moment. hands. Yeah. So so yeah, we I I think we've been talking about this this <clears throat> implicit trust in our institutions and in well the the imperial ideologies or the worldview, uh, however you should frame it. Uh, I think we've talked about this a lot, and that last few weeks, <clears throat> you, John, been uh, been digging up this uh, death denial, this loss of transcendence in a, in a couple of pieces, and I think that idea is is very relevant to to the to the major to the overarching problem here, because I I think the loss of transcendence in the Western context is. Is to an extent predicated on, on a denial of, of reality, and I'm going to get back to that a little, a little later <clears throat> because I, I've been thinking about this uh, a bit today. But I, I'm just uh, I, I wanted to ask you to, to maybe just summarize your your uh, your thoughts on on this death denial phenomenon you, you've talked about. Well, <clears throat> I. I mean, boy, that's a very complicated yeah, discussion. Right. And and but but I I will say something. I the last two blog posts that I did uh, <clears throat> were were <laughs> um, some very. It was a, there was a funny comment made when I did four blog posts in a row on consciousness, on the nature of consciousness. Just kind of, <laughs> you know, my blog posts are um, all over the place in a sense. Uh, but but these were kind of focusing on the nature of consciousness. And somebody said, these are great. I love them. They form a sort of trilogy on consciousness. <laughs> I thought, yeah, um, all four of those pieces. Yeah. Um, but 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 the last two have been somewhat on cosmology. And and this is going to answer your question eventually um, at the end at the end of the universe. Uh, and, but one of the startling things about the, the digging into that reading, I've spent month, the whole Christmas period reading nothing but quantum <clears throat> theory and trying to understand even the beginnings of the math and so forth. And I, I'm not very good at math, but I've learned a lot. And, but, but the takeaway separate from, from the, the, the pure philosophy or metaphysics of it is that thing you know we're, we're we talked a little bit about transgender uh the transgender movement mm. last time 
and the dependency on big pharma and government and a lot of very expensive procedures and technology. Uh, quantum theory, all experimentation is extraordinarily expensive. And the Large Hadron Collider in Switzerland on the border of France, or maybe it's more in France than Switzerland, costs upward of $10 billion to build. And it costs a billion dollars a year to run it, to keep it up and running. Um, the uh, James Webb Deep Space Telescope that um, was launched and is now sending back in quotation marks pictures um, costs something like $6 billion and counting, uh, uh, but actually costs much more than that. Uh, in fact, it costs something like like half the the budget for um, the U.S. government budgets for for astrophysics research and so forth. Um, now, this is a pittance, of course, in comparison to the defense industry. But but what is interesting here's the <laughs> boy. I've taken a long time to to get to the point here. Um, those pictures that you see of the you know nearby galaxies and the star nebulas and all this stuff from the James Webb telescope are not really pictures. There's not a telescope up there. It's not a telescope. There's no camera up there taking pictures as any of us conventionally think of pictures. There is data um, you know, solenoids or whatever they are, all this computer um, measuring equipment that measures light and temperature and radiation and, and you know, all manner of other things, you know, thousands of instruments really like crammed into this little, not so little <clears throat> um, apparatus in space. And they are measuring things that were decided upon by you know this very large group of astrophysicists deciding what they expected to see up there yeah, and that's what they're measuring and they put it all together and form a photograph that they give to people this is like computer generated imagery it's like cgi um, of a very sophisticated sort it might very well bear no resemblance to what's up there. And the reason I say that is because 90% of the universe, according to these same people, is made up of dark energy and dark matter. And if you ask them what is dark energy and dark matter, they say, we don't know. We do know the 5% that makes up you and me and what we think of as the knowable universe, particle physics that we study, atoms and protons and electrons and the Higgs boson and all of these things make up 5% of the universe. The rest is implied by our math and we call it dark energy and dark matter. And I said, my blog post, this, my blog post, this sounds a lot like St. Augustine, you know, um, it's metaphysics. It's not, it's not the measurement. I mean, it's a fable. It's a scientific fable. And, and so it's interesting that it's being sold as, you know, 
a photograph of outer space like somebody went up there with a with a kodak you know instamatic and took pictures or something it's nothing remotely like that okay the second fact associated with that is that the u.s government pays for a lot of this most of it right in one form or another european countries nato countries contribute a lot to um the hadron collider and cern the you know governing body of the hadron collider uh, has now decided to sever ties with russia and belarus because of in their words the ruthless invasion of ukraine so everything is political everything is touched by the you know morbid stinking decaying fingers of the u.s government their fingerprints are on everything everything and i personally don't see any organ of the u.s government touching anything that won't benefit them somehow okay okay end of that <laughs> digression denial of death yeah i but i think it's relevant you see i i think we now live in a world in which the terror of death is is buried so deeply in people they live in such a facsimile universe an existence with a fable about outer space telescopes among many many other things that i mean nothing bears any resemblance to reality anymore the government spins more and more bizarre fanciful notions and what we've seen in the last two years with covid and and um and the lockdowns and you know was was this sort of you know significant step in the total destruction of rationality i think mm -hmm. um so so i think i think all these all these projects, these intellectual government social projects are can be traced back to a kind of terror about mortality, the finitude mm -hmm. of existence somehow. Okay, that's the end of my lengthy <laughs> rant. Somebody else, please. Speak. Yeah, I think, John, I, I completely agree. And even the fact, and we've probably discussed this before, but how people say, um, oh, it's safe, right? <clears throat> the vaccines are safe. And they said that from the very beginning when no one has any clue, especially at that time, no one had any clue if they would be safe or not. And you had the people behind the scenes saying this is the biggest human experiment we've, we've ever done on human population, you know, um, all these risks that they were taking. And then to hear government officials, politicians, and even, um, you know, like you were talking about people in these liberal circles all repeating this mantra, they're safe, they're safe, they're safe, we can give them to children, they're safe, to babies are safe, when in reality, we have no idea, and actually the yeah. opposite looks to be true, right, <clears throat> the exact opposite of that looks to be true, and yet, and yet, that's <laughs> continues, oh, they're safe, they're safe, they're safe, despite, um, you know, accumulating data, showing you know, very, very um, terrifying things happening that we can all see. <laughs> and I guess a lot of people choose not to see. Um, it's not true at all, but we continue hearing, you know, how safe they are and to go get yet another booster, go get another one, go get another one, go get another one. Um, so yeah, it's weird, but it's another aspect of the whole project of together. 
right? Whereas before we would have had, um, before we were against, you know, um, oppression and certain um, obedience and all these different things. And we, these were core elements of our, of, you know, activism to fight against all these shared um, things that we did not believe in. And now we're the very um, people propagating the propaganda, right? Like the right. liberal left has become the arm, a, a very effective arm of propaganda, right? The advertising arm, basically. So it's, again, if you can frame it and market it, you can sell it. And it looks to me like that's right across the board, at least in the West. <clears throat> Yeah. Uh, Johan? Yeah, yeah, I completely agree with both of you. And, and Corey, it's, it's like this phenomenon of, of, of tethered or recuperated protest has been so effective these, these, just these last years in a way. Uh, I think that's a very important development. But, but as to, I, you know, uh, this, how safety becomes the paramount uh, value in, in the death-denying uh, secular society of biopolitics, that, that is that is uh, I agree on that point, but add to that this fact that uh, you, you have the, this mass vaccinated population with their three or four shots. I mean, imagine the psychological tension, the double bind that many people has to experience <clears throat> being torn between these these two separate narratives yeah. when the, the facts of of the of the shots become obvious in contrast to to the the implicit trust in the authorities. I mean, it must be like the, the most significant psychological tension in a population through history in, in a sense. Um, yeah, yeah, Corey? Yeah, and adding to that about the safety and then the irony is at the same time, we, you know, our air becomes more polluted, our food more poisoned, like all these toxins into our bodies, into our lungs, right, our whole, contamination of everything and so it's really really ironic you have that whole safety thing on the one hand and on the other hand doing everything that's not safe that no one notices it just goes on right. unnoticed yeah that that branches into a, a yeah an interesting discussion um because i think i think johan you're right this idea of safety security is really interesting you know economics i forget who it was who wrote this but you know the risk aversion became a guiding principle in kind of bourgeois economics yeah. um and jonathan beller talks about this but he wasn't the first one and um uh and that has bled into everything right um and and every possible value system epistemology even i mean every is is kind of like risk averse uh and, and it's very strange and it's made i mean that preceded covid too it's strange but but per corey's point yeah i mean i have seen i have to say a couple of of you know op-ed pieces and and discussions of military pollution but they're barely a blip in in the wider picture of things and i you know Corey and i were talking before the podcast about she had sent this link to the world economic forum that eight countries had already achieved net zero emissions 
And among them, almost all of them are, are desperately, wretchedly poor countries, Suriname, um, in South America, um, Gabon, um, Madagascar. Uh, these are countries that, that are very, very, very poor and, um, and, you know, suffer all kinds of, uh, uh, the, the, the imposition of policy by, by, you know, the United States and European, you know, their former colonial holdings, and they are still beholden to the their colonial masters. Um, but they're now sort of being marketed as, hmm. as symbols of virtue or something, you know, like aspirational. You, your country could be just like Suriname. Um, you know, it's, it, there's a strange thing and, and I can't help, but I'll, and Johan, I see, yeah, We'll go to you, but I can't help but think also the to watch the ongoing endless kind of stomach turning propaganda about Ukraine and Russia and <clears throat> Zelensky's fucking trip to the United States, you know, in his dumbass green t shirt. And, um, you know, it's 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 and various celebrities, boy, he's got a lot of. Hollywood um, has really bought into the uh, the Zelensky uh, phenomenon. It's it's mm. and it's strange because because the Nazism in Kiev is so pronounced, is so obvious, has such hist a historical record going back to World War II. I mean, the people they name you know Banderites, and they're naming after a guy who was a a you know. Uh, a Nazi collaborator, and it's being apologized away with a, you know, a, a flick of the wrist, one stroke, it's gone, nobody cares, swastikas appear everywhere, and suddenly that normalizing of, of Nazi symbols and, and uh, style codes and so forth are, is being normalized in a very big way. And, and, and I'm starting to see that this goes back now quite a few years, but anyway, um, well, that's a different topic actually. Johan. Yeah. So, so I have, <clears throat> if you bear with me for, for a while, I, I have a few thoughts on this, uh, this loss of transcendence, because I think that death denial is kind of core to the, the entire modern project. If you, if you go back, and I think this is connected to, to the loss of transcendence in, in secular modernity. And it's a special kind of post-Christian phenomenon. And if, if you just give me a few minutes, I have a, a, a few thoughts here to get together. But because this is like one of the most challenging topics there is, I think, because, because you need to tie together so many aspects of, of history and culture. Yeah, yeah. Uh, so I, I think this, this loss of transcendence it's kind of peculiar to modern Western civilization. And I think it connects very intimately to, to the Christian doctrines on, on the person of Christ as an archetype of the, of the human being. Uh, so <clears throat> this is a very, this is really an incredibly revolutionary idea in, in its time. Uh, it still is, I think, but we, we can't really see it because of the fish in the water situation. And I think this revolutionary character holds in a purely sociological sense as well as a theological. I mean, I believe these doctrines are true, but you can be an atheist and, and still see their societal impact clearly. 
so, so the the idea is that Christ unites the divine and the human in one one single person, you know, and the person of, of the Son then encompasses the human and the divine natures in in Christ the Savior, and He becomes this archetype for all of humanity. And, and this this uh, sociologically and culturally speaking, this uh, "For God so loved the world that He gave us His only begotten Son" metaphysics, it kind of opens up these these immense possibilities for humanity and for society towards a sort of universal transcendence. It imbues the human community with, with a potential for infinite value and meaning. And, and these, these meta possibilities, they were not really conceptually recognized before this new religion came onto the scene. And, and I mean, this is the origin of, of Renaissance humanism and the whole later socio-symbolic construct of the human as such in, 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 in later periods. So, so you have the the new idea of, of a unique dignity and meaning of the human individual. So, so I mean, it's even the case that that the modern notions of a stable and enduring individual personhood they they did not really exist in this sense before Christianity came along and and said that basically all of your eternal beings which will reside forever in the house of the Father. You know, and what modernity does much later, what what it really does, and where I think the problem lies is that modernity takes this enlarged human person, which encompasses all of these new possibilities of infinite reach, and it simply removes the divine component of the equation. It removes transcendence while still maintaining this enlarged construct. And I think this is kind of close to the core issue at the depth of everything. It begins around the 12th century, but I think Max Weber is, is probably correct when he says that the fusion of early capitalism and what he calls the Protestant ethic is when this really begins to manifest in society in connection with reductionism, with, with mechanistic, uh, uh, mechanistic determinism and all of this. Uh, so, and, and this, this ends up in what Oswald Spengler calls Faustian civilization, and which uh, this means a culture characterized by this motion towards the infinite that's propelled only by its own will and power, and, and this rejection of transcendence coupled with a, with a strive to create and maintain it ourselves. I think this undergirds the entire late modern human condition, you know, all across the board in psychology, in politics, in our fears and, and neurosis. I think this, you know, can be called the spirit of, of modern imperialism. And I think here we have the sort of conceptual theological underpinnings of, of this death denial, this denial of transcendence. Then, I mean, we don't need to transcend if we deny we actually have limitations. So I just just to, to summarize, uh, I mean, what used to be a negation of the, the limitations of the human condition through transcendence now becomes a denial of the limitations of the human conditions through a rejection of our need to transcend. That's the kind of substitution that takes place. Yeah. Was, yeah, no, I think, <clears throat> I mean, the last two posts I wrote actually were oddly um, uh, kind of oddly about this and and I think that the 12th to the 13th century is really pivotal yeah. um, and and the the 30 years war and and I mean that whole the medieval you know you could keep enlarging that frame but but uh, the the 
uh, arrival of Averroes and Aristotle uh, and and challenged church teaching and there was a heated debate about it and um, St. Thomas's solution was to come up with a certain angels had angelic time, but it was the introduction of time um, as, a, as a kind of philosophical concept and a way to measure certain things. Anyway, we can't, this is extraordinarily complicated. But I wrote in that blog post that this has to be, my feeling was this was the least existential culture in the history of the world. That, that when I was young, I remember having conversations with people about birth and death and infinity and, you know, uh, all these kind of, you know, the, philosophical, ontological, theological questions. And it was just a normal kind of thing that young people debated and discussed. I don't think those conversations take place very much anymore. Uh, and they certainly don't in, in the, you know, popular culture, which in a way they did even 40 years ago. Uh, you can find television programs, interviews with philosophers and scientists and even serious writers debating serious subjects, that level of seriousness has absolutely disappeared now and, and is no longer, um, um, you can't find any expression of it at all. Okay, I'm hearing all kinds of strange sounds um, from somebody, maybe me. Anyway, uh, so I think this is right. And I, and I think that, that that the other um, historical marker, of course, was was the Enlightenment and the Industrial Revolution, and um, the the that period right before the turn of the fin de seal, right before the twentieth century, with all manner of optical invention, and and it, it, there was a strange. Uh, it was the introduction of a of a, a deceptively simple subtle idea which was a kind of the scientist as neutral mm. uh observer and but that became that bled into the populace that became everyone's um kind of internalized that idea of neutrality and and it was like a hyper secularization of consciousness or something i don't know i'm just yeah. ripping on this but 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 that has been something that's that yeah has been on my mind because i think to and to me it's embodied in stuff like the james webb telescope because that's what passes for um you know <clears throat> the homer of today or something the epic story narrative of today uh, solving the mysteries of the universe is a CGI movie, you know, that, that Disney might well have made, the James Webb Telescope, because that's all it is. Um, okay, Johan, uh, and then I'm going to force Hiro <laughs> to say something. So yeah, yeah I, I, I completely get what you're saying here. And I, I think this, this ontology of the scopes, as I would frame it, is really a kind of a spectacular affirmation of, of reductive, uh, the, the reductionist worldview in a sense. It, it, and as you say, the, the 
So the notion of objectivity in science and in everything is really a denial of the subject, a denial of consciousness of, of the individual's point of view. And I think this is intimately related to the loss of transcendence in, in a myriad ways, not least because the, the original you know, framework or situatedness of transcendence in Western culture was in an affirmation of the complex situated individual. But, but I mean, then we had art as a, a kind of, throughout the, the 20th century, as a kind of opposition, as a counter movement to this, uh, this reductionist photorealism, this ontology of the scopes. And but I think all of you have, have remarked that there is no avant-garde art scene left anymore in, in the, the mainstream. So, so maybe you can uh, continue on that thread, Hiroyuki. I have um I don't I don't know I can't really uh to be honest I can't really wrap my head around um all this but uh what you're saying about Christianity and um the path of um uh, capitalism is really, really interesting because uh, if you look up, look back the history, you know we we know about uh, Christianity and colonialism and uh, how uh, third world countries have been responding and how the trajectory of the Western Empire is closely uh, intermingled with uh, that idea. So uh that totally makes sense and uh and also we have uh our observation of the um what we see as um uh, uh global surveillance and uh, uh controlling the population through um, uh biometrics um uh, vaccine uh, registration and all those things. Basically, we are being caged with uh, upcoming technology. And that's closely related to, I mean, it's part of what they call uh, fourth industrial revolution. So it's a economic framework. They are seeing it as an economic framework and we are all in it. So um, and, you know, it also relates to uh, what John was saying about where we are as a species, mm -hmm. our consciousness, uh, only recognizing 95, 5% uh, of everything else. You know, it's sort of like um, in, in Middle Ages, uh, you know, we see those maps of... Uh, uh, continents, uh, edges of the uh, our world is inhabited with the uh, monsters and uh, dragons. Yeah, <laughs> you know, I mean, that's what we have right now. You know, in a in a way. So, um, and the well, reason I, is the technology today. You know, so it's uh, yeah, it's uh, what can I say? And also, you know, it's interesting that you mentioned about George Carlin. Um, George Carlin, I, I love his uh, uh, routines and uh, he's brilliant, I think. But the thing is, he is a cynic, you know? And the, yeah, if, you yeah. start, 
you know, if you're being cynical, uh, that's a safe position because you're mm. not intending to change anything, mm. you know, and if once somebody tries to change something, you, you will be cynical against that too. So, you know. Yeah, that's a really interesting point. And, and um, I actually am not all that a great a Carlin fan, but, but I, but I appreciated that quote and several others of his, but, but that's true. And uh, it is interesting. I mean, boy, we could do a whole, or at least I could do a whole lecture on the evolution of a modern comedy from just the last 50, 60 years, because there's been <clears throat> very significant changes and and you know you go back to lenny bruce um even richard pryor something very different was was going on and and ultimately in different ways the the state found a way to silence them uh but but anyway back to art and and uh and culture I mean, what what shocks me all the time is how conservative the arts community has become. Um, not just, you know, I mean, it's low hanging fruit at this point to take shots at, at MFA programs. And so I do it anyway. But um, but the people running institutional art um outlets whether it's in painting or or dance or or theater or anything um publishing houses everything has been um taken over by a very again risk averse very careful bureaucratic um well-educated mostly white woke um uh, mentality and and uh I don't know what the society as a whole looks for in in culture or art anymore. I don't know what people think culture represents. I know that there's a hostility to um, having any kind of, of uh, discriminatory taste about things. It's seen as as, I don't know, aggressive or something. Uh, and people don't have it. People are not educated in the arts. I mean, it comes down to, we, we talked about that in theater 30, 40 years ago, that there was a dwindling audience for serious theater. And, and certainly a number of playwrights have noted, I mean, everybody from David Hare to Heiner Mueller to, have talked about there's no audience for theater anymore. And so, you know, um, that's one of the problems is because arts education has, has been strangled and, and cut off and so people don't know anything. And, and I just keep coming back to this sense that, that we live in such a world of unreality right now. And, and um, uh, you know, it is anti-transcendent. And um, Johan, I'll go to you. I'm just going to put another question out there mm -hmm. for everybody. And Corey, I'd like your take on this too. Mm -hmm. um, because we talk about, okay, the vaccines are are bad. They seem to be harmful, or at least more harmful than were advertised. Some, you know, see it as incredibly harmful. The the, the final word hasn't been um, <clears throat> given yet. I see them as, you know, potentially incredibly dangerous. I think lots more people are going to die. 
so the question is because this is a question people give to me all the time and it's a very tricky one people go well was you know so it was just an accident or you know the opposite the counter question then is was it intentional that you know you're gonna so i leave that you guys answer that johan and then Corey. sure i'll, I'll just make it quick i I have a, a nice uh, <clears throat> summary, su summarizing statement on the relationship between the loss of transcendence and, and uh, the reductive worldview, the reductive physicalist naturalist worldview. Because if there is nothing beyond the universe which holds it together, then everything within it must you know, ultimately be explicable in terms of its objective constituent parts. And I think that kind of, of sums it all up. I also would like to add, you know, that <clears throat> contemporary biopolitics is utterly preoccupied with death denial, as you, you describe it, John. I think this is the core of the project. Even the, the depopulation agenda is uh, ironically an expression of this biopolitical objective of, of managing life and death and protecting contingent worldly existence from this horizon of death and transcendence, I think. Uh, so, yeah. Uh, uh, I have another question for you, Corey, but I'll, I'll wait wait for a while with it. <laughs> so, what is the question, John? Again, <laughs> it was it was like, um, was it deliberate? The, the virus? Was yeah. It the virus. I mean, well, the the vaccine. The vaccine seems to be. People are claiming, and I kind of agree. Um, I mean, we've all talked about this. The vi the vaccine is is harmful it seems it's certainly yeah, yeah, not yeah, I got all that. curative is that intentional yeah. or an accident oh whether if it's harmful um yeah, yeah i mean hmm, that's not the question i thought you were gonna you were asking me i mean first of all <laughs> first of all everyone it's really really easy to forget that in most places australia is almost identical to canada flu as formerly in the top 10 cause of death and I, I believe Canada and Australia disappeared, right? For two or three years, there was no flu. And so wh where did that go, right? One of the top one of the top causes of death in the whole country, 30, what's Canada? 33 million, 36 million people disappeared. Flu disappeared. So <laughs> that says a lot, you know, about the COVID cases um, when the flu like literally vanished. And then people will say, oh, well, you know, it's because of the mass. Okay, what? Like the mass stopped the flu, but they didn't stop COVID anyway. Um, but whether it's intentional, I, I don't think anyone could really answer that because it's an experiment. Yeah. Right? <laughs> it's an experiment. And now we're going to watch and see what the fallout will be. You know, we are watching that. And right. it's only- well, and But what was the motivation? What was the motivation? For governments, the World Health Organization, the CDC. To, to I think it's the idea. To... Sorry, I think it's the whole idea behind precision medicine and this um this whole um what do you call it? transition from physical to digital world. Is listening again to an interview on um, Chinese media this morning of, and they're interviewing Klaus Schwab and talking about that again, the transition to this digital world. And I think precision medicine and the idea of uploading, 
right? Uploading your medicines um, and sending them via a messenger RNA over the internet to your body in this whole um, healthcare system becoming digital. So I think this is the foundation for that. And so this is the beginning, yeah. right? Yeah. Like that makes sense to me. Well, I think that, yeah, it, it does to me too. And I think part of it, and I think that's built into it. And, and the, the, there was clearly, <laughs> Um, there's clearly a relationship. I don't quite know the cause and effect of it, but there's clearly a relationship between um, the outbreak of COVID, the uh, suddenly the unprecedented idea of quarantining healthy people, um, locking down entire societies uh, without any due process, with out any transparency without any public debate, just extra legally, you know, governments were by edict ruining people's lives, businesses, separating families, old people were dying. All of these things were done without any debate. And that seems mm -hmm. even I say it right now, you know, extraordinarily strange and almost unbelievable. And and uh you know you could if you were um so so inclined uh you could you could see the precursors to this kind of you know mass control of populations in things like the the boston marathon um bomber thing where the entire city was shut down to chase two former fbi assets um, who were already known to be guilty and so on. anyway um and and so i'm being a little cynical but but there's a relationship the 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 the, the world economic forum and those people the all the great reset stuff certainly at the very least jumped in opportunistically and probably encouraged a lot of this policy making um because it aided in this economic restructuring and Wall Street and all the giant NGOs and the one percent, this unprecedented transference of wealth to the top that really is unprecedented. Those people decided that they should be making global policy. And so they did. And uh, the ruling class was exempt from all the restrictions put on everybody else. Private jets flew and they didn't have to wear masks, et cetera, et cetera, et cetera. And uh, and so so somehow uh, the lockdowns and and the economic destruction that that <clears> caused <throat> maybe the vaccine harms was was just kind of factored in as as breakage you know or something yeah. or or as a as a you know um, a collateral damage but but a desired collateral damage you know uh, because. I don't know, you know, it makes the earth less messy if we have fewer people. And all that overpopulation stuff was trotted out again and again and again. So I don't know. I don't know. I'm just kind of riffing here. But um, Corey, and then all three have your hands up. So I just think it's easier to see if you if you understand that the agenda is to transition from a physical uh, physical yeah. biological world to that of an unnatural artificial world. It makes a lot more sense that way. Like CRISPR babies um, now 
um, GMO food, which we had huge um, resistance to a couple of decades ago, that's gone now. And now it's being remarketed as bioengineered food, right? So it will be woken on the shelves and people will buy it. So everything transitioning to this artificial world. And I think the precision medicine is that type of thing too. You take your healthcare online and for your, you know, cure, whatever you need for your health is just basically, you know, um, done in this digital way. And I think, yeah, collateral damage, who cares? I mean, the population, as we know, they've want, they've been on that agenda, you know, the eugenics agenda for decades. So no big deal, you know, if we lose a lot right. of people deal i mean no no and it, last. i just would i just want to add before johan jumps in and then hiroyuki um that that we should remember that automation does not benefit humans it does not make it life easier automation basically makes life harder and transfers labor to the 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 uh client you know to you and me um it simply increases the profit margin for um for production, you know, for management, they it doesn't do anything. The whole the whole marketing of AI and and this futuristic, you know, upload of the world, artificial everything, is huge. Is a huge profit maker for the people owning very expensive technology. It's a big investment, and and you know that's part of it. It's not. To help anybody just to underscore what probably is very obvious um johan yeah excellent point Corey. I, I think it's great that you bring up digital digitalization because i've forgotten about it the last few days and i think it's it's part of the same cultural pattern as the, as the lockdowns and <clears throat> i think you know the, the the metaverse ideology kind of digs us deeper into this this unreality of, of, of the reductive worldview and its loss of transcendence because it kind of it, it re replaces real relation with this for transcendence this this uh, false promise of of, um, of um, jettisoning the limitations of, of the human being and and on that note i and and hiroyuki saw your film john uh, this this delightful animal factory from from 99 or 2000 <laughs> i think and i i think that the, you know the prison movie genre it, it exemplifies this <clears throat> this uh, these these prison walls exemplify the loss of transcendence in many ways because you, you lose real relations, uh, you have no agency, your will is stultified, your, your connections to other human beings get distorted. So I, I was just curious uh, what, what your, your thoughts on, on that film and, and what the idea behind it was. If, if you could just say a few words about that and maybe here you would like to share your, your um, experience of the film. Well, I'll just say very briefly because it was the last film I um, I did in Hollywood and and um, I had known Eddie Bunker before that and Danny Trejo for that matter um, from like my misspent youth but uh, uh, Buscemi had become friends with Eddie and wanted to do a prison film the way Bunker remembered it and if you don't know about Eddie uh, Edward Bunker you know you can google him and read his life story it's quite remarkable he was a remarkable guy he died and he was already sick at the point where this film is being made um <clears throat> he has a cameo in it in fact um but uh, he's the guy with the mop and telling him the weapons are in the clavo anyway that's that's Eddie um mm. I I was very happy to take part in it 
and and it's you know one of the only times nobody interfered with me and it's based on bunker's book uh so i just tried to be as true to the book as i could be and there's only one scene in it that was written after um i left uh the scene with the father was added because the producers wanted it but um but you know it was made on a micro budget and and it's not perfect but defoe was great and it was it was a thoroughly enjoyable process and uh that's the last thing i did in hollywood anyway so that's all it was it was based on bunker's book and prison is always a perfect metaphor you know i mean there are i could list you six great prison novels truly great prison novels in world history because yeah because because it is a it is a metaphor you can't escape i <laughs> just see how i slipped that pun in there okay hiroyuki yeah i i really uh enjoyed the movie and uh, uh the uh, uh at the very end there was a um the main character uh he says um uh what was that uh it's better to reign yeah. in hell than serve in serve in heaven. heaven yeah right yeah. right right you know it really uh totally tells us about the desperate situation and uh and also um it, i mean it, it's a lot i mean it is a metaphor about uh what we have here you know uh, a lot of people choose to be uh the the guy who have the power in the structure you know mm. because they would rather reign in hell than do something else and yeah. uh, this is a this is a trap and we we have um many of that and um and what we are looking at uh also uh uh the trajectory of uh how things are gonna be the new economic path of uh, medicalization, financialization, digitalization, and uh, what goes against is is not socialism, it's not communism, it is the status quo. It's 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 the good good old uh, new liberal uh, imperial um, uh, status. So yeah, you know, that's a what we are seeing is really, really a, a dangerous situation. You know, we are agitated to stay with this momentum to go against this new trajectory. But, you know, when we look around, it's the Republicans and the, some Democrats, and uh, uh, it's the same old structure, you know? So. Yeah, boy, <clears throat> that's a really good point. Um, and and I want to return to that about um, the status quo, this, the, the 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 perspective on on you know political the ideas of left and right have um, been redefined. The map is redrawn. But Johan, I'll go to you first. Oh, sure. Yeah, and I would really really like Varun's uh, take on on this. Yeah. But uh, you know, as I as I kind of said, uh, well, you know, the 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 loss of transcendence and the ideology of, of reductionism it challenges 
the freedom of the will, natural human agency. It, it denies consciousness. It denies the possibility of, of real relationship. And incidentally, I just wanted to add, R.D. Lang, the controversial Scottish uh, anti-psychiatry psychiatrist from the 70s through the 90s, I think, he, uh, he noted uh, and he argued that uh, the manifestations of psychosis are the expressions in sensitive individuals of uh, the double binds or the contradictions in, in the, the worldview, the, the cultural uh, meta narratives. And, and he, he observed that, uh, well, what are, what are the manifest fears in, uh, in uh, the experiences of psychotic patients? Well, they're afraid that they're really dead they're afraid that they're not real or that other persons do not exist or they're afraid that they don't actually have free will. That, that, that was like the, the main issues he saw in his patients. I think that's very, very telling. Yeah, it is. I mean, that's a, <clears throat> a really kind of, yeah, remarkably insightful observation. Lang is great. Um, and, and But like that entire wave of radical psychiatry dating that's back, gone you know, is gone. I mean, you have, you have nothing like that today and, and it's thoroughly medicalized and yeah. linked to pharmaceuticals and, and, um, nobody, nobody wow. speaks of treatment in the same way that somebody like R.T. Lang did. Um, it's, yeah, it's very interesting. Well, what I sense with everyone, all of us, when I talk to you guys and, and I'm really sorry, Baru, um couldn't be here. Um, but we talked to you guys and and other people I know. It, and I think the the New Year's doldrums have hit everybody. But it's but it's acute this year, and and I think it everyone senses that um there has there has a, been a disappearance of optimism and disappearance of yeah. hope in a way um not relating necessarily to specific policies you know maybe certain battles can be won and uh they're worth fighting and will you know this or that will matter more and we can you know side with the dutch farmers to insist on eating real meat and um the but the ruling class has more money more wealth they own the planet in a way that has never existed before i mean they are the new pharaohs they they see the planet as their kingdom and they they our, you know, policy is being increasingly determined by the people that control the wealth at Vanguard and BlackRock and um, the World Economic Forum pulls the strings on a lot of stuff. And this is not conspiracy theory. It's not a conspiracy. It's everybody admits it and knows it and talks about it. It's seen as rational. And this is what's frightening because the loss of education has has taken a toll people don't read they play with their smartphones all these things we've said over and over and over so they they can't make informed historical decisions about a lot of things nearly everything it seems and 
they're very suspicious of of whistleblowers and dissenting voices of any kind general populace is very suspicious um it, until you get down to the 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 very poor and those countries that are very poor um and but are invisible those people are not fooled i don't think they will resist and uh i think ultimately they are are the targets i mean as corey said earlier uh, i think before we got on the air you know those countries the zero net emission countries are are investments you know that's that those are emerging markets for more extraction it is the recolonizing of the global south that's what the the you know the the extreme one percent uh, want to do through their various holdings, mining, and all of this, um, and you know, part of this this hyper, um, I guess, not capitalism anymore. You know, this sort of hyper postmodern feudalism. Mm -hmm. This fantasy is um, is, I believe, one of my points is, I think it's delusional as much as it is many other things. I think those people are as intoxicated with the fantasy about technology as anybody else. Um, I, I don't think I don't think that the James Webb telescope is intentionally sending back a cartoon picture of the universe. I think the people who built it and own it and market it and NASA and all of these people, whatever hidden military use <laughs> might um, have for people down the road, I think they believe it's a, you know, another wonderful example, just like, you know, um, all the other stuff, all the other growing technologies um, of hyper, you know, quantum computing, which will fail. All of this stuff is a fairy tale, though. They believe it. The people that make it invest in it and probably make money out of it. So maybe they don't care. But it's a fairy tale and it's going to fail. And and the ways in which it fails, when the ways in which mankind cannot be digitally enslaved, I believe, um, is going to cause a lot of chaos. So Anyway, Johan. Oh yeah, I think I left my hand up, but, but I, I've thought about <laughs> the, the, the various ways in which our respective disciplines are sort of quests for truth in, in different ways. I mean, philosophy, and of course I would say, but at least in my view is, is very much about that. And, and art, of course, it's about truth producing, uh, well, bringing out the real in various ways, and in journalism, I think especially so. I, I remember when I was a kid, and I, I thought the the calling or, or the 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 work of a journalist was was especially well uh, meritorious, honorable because of the well this quest for truth, this this uh, well racing up the downtrodden, telling the world well, what's what's really going on. And I, my question for, for Corey earlier was, was how you remember your, your ideals when you first got into all of this, how it felt like to, to well, take these, these risks and, and uh, stick your neck out there and, and, and telling these stories to people. I mean, do you remember wh why you, you got, got to this work in the first place and, and what it felt like? Oh, you gotta unmute it. 
Yeah, I'm okay. unmuted. <laughs> yeah, I remember I did it, Johan. I started writing about it and because I felt I was in the position to do that because I wasn't officially employed by a big NGO. And so I didn't have to risk, you know, my paycheck each week to be able to tell these things. And I felt it was our biggest barrier to a better world. You know, like there's such a major, major op a piece of that, you know, there are major apparatus in this um, machinery, right? That keeps the system going. Your major, major piece of it, and it was going unrecognized, you know, as if they're the good guys, but they're actually just another piece of the machine. And so I just felt I had to grind away at that, you know, even if um, it wasn't well read, even, you know, even just for my own, the sake of my own mental well being, like just to get it out of my head and on paper, and it helped me to figure it out and sort it out. And it just felt like important work that no one else was doing or wanted to do. You know, everyone's so busy trying to climb the ladder and, um, you know, get somewhere and, and, you know, be part of that champagne circuit, be part of that celebrity type of um, circus. And I had no interest in that. And I felt that was to my gain, you know, having no interest in that, I could do a better job than most people. Um, so yeah, and I'm still working away at that. I'm still learning, probably still making lots of mistakes. You know, I don't even look at my old writing because I'm sure there's lots of stuff in there that I don't agree with now that I felt back then. You know, I have a great big solar system on my house that I would never put in today. We keep growing and keep changing, hopefully keep learning. Um, and we learn from one another. I don't know, I'm sort of rambling. But. No, no, but yeah. you know, it's interesting that I just a very quick aside, I think it's important that people recognize that they change and that other people change. Because I think social media has been one of the ways in which social media is destructive, is that there is a kind of intellectual bullying. Um, uh, about, oh, so-and-so said in 2016 that, you know, to, well, yeah, but it's not 2016. I mean, okay, that's good to know, but it doesn't disqualify. I mean, people change their minds because they learn something. Um, and, and you're supposed, you shouldn't have the same opinions you had when you were 30 years old. That would make you a really creepy human being. So, you know, um, but, but, but it's a it's a it's a society of it's like a snitch society. It's a society of stigmatizing and shaming, uh, and that is something that came out of social media. God, social media is toxic. I wish there were a way around it, but um, but but I don't know one yet. But I think an effort to to somehow rehabilitate. Um, deprogram social media <laughs> like it's a cult you know we need that approach to social media hiroyuki i think it's it's all uh, uh structural uh, uh what we are looking at i mean uh, the the acute accumulation of the resources and wealth is causing the capitalized institutions to uh self-destruct so that yeah. you know they're gonna they're not gonna function for the people. I mean, people are not gonna you know be served by the institutions. But the people have the uh, people who have the wealth and power 
they don't care. They they are sustaining with whatever they have. So um, it's a it's an interesting situation. And as the um, yeah, so I I I and also we see the uh, uh, the corporate politics that there has been significant change in terms of who owns wealth and. Um, um maybe a generation or two ago it was the republican party who held um important um keys in the uh, economic system but now all those people who are uh being named as oligarchs they are democrats mm. and yeah. Uh, yeah. There, there was this big article about um uh democratic candidates being CIA agents, you know. <laughs> oh yeah, well, are... but 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 half the Democrat, half the Democratic candidates in the last two elections have are direct graduates of CIA and military yeah, intelligence. Yeah, yeah, so yeah. So I mean, it's so it's the party of the CIA for sure. I, yeah, and um, so th this is happening as the uh, the wealth is moving to one place to another. And this is kind of taking care of the uh, 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 the momentum, you know, keeping up the momentum of the political uh, institution, which is not for the people, for the uh, oligarchs. And um, um, so as we are seeing the crisis of the status quo, we're seeing a lot of the things that's probably uh, affect the situation probably affect for them to sustain the status quo so um, <coughs> excuse me it, it yeah. is very very uh important that you know people who are uh not going along with those things people who are uh students of marxism people who are students of uh socialism and uh uh, those people who are against this Western imperialism, it's it's really important to talk about it and talk about it from that perspective. And it's very, very hard. <laughs> yeah, I just want to add that that and then, Johan, um, very quickly, I, I think that one of the problems and maybe it's a structural aspect of the the. The, the growth of social media, the growth of uh, the internet and all its platforms. Uh, but somehow the left, what people I recognize as formerly, at least as Marxists or socialist communists, the far left, uh, have lost the capacity to teach. Hmm. They're not interested in teaching people anymore. And that used to be one of the primary qualities of the left was that they would go out and try to teach people that here's what's really going on. Here's what Marx teaches. Here's mm. what capitalism does. Here's what surplus value is. The falling rate of profit. Let me here you will understand better how the world around you works. You will learn to question things that they don't teach anymore. They just expel you from their private club or something and and <laughs> i don't know okay johan no no these are excellent points by both of you and i but i think it's it's very difficult 
to teach in in a society where we're like one in a hundred people even read anymore I, I think it's it's very difficult to both have the the you know people behind you to get the points across and I, I think many people will not have the capacity to to absorb what you're teaching them and I was I, I think what you're saying here here is extremely important and I just wanted to add my, my um, you know, Dmitry Orlov, the, the German, the Russian uh, peak oil blogger, he once, once was, he has this idea of, he talks of capitalism as the, the technosphere, and he argues that, well, it's the sort of, of uh, it's an emergent system that kind of behaves intelligently, and in this contemporary situation where we have a, a resource crisis, it's going to act to defend itself from, from harm. And it's going to um, sort of try to preserve its its power structure. Try in in quotation marks, and in in that context, some something like an active depopulation to preserve uh, the system in the face of of uh, resource consumption would be well expected. So I think I think these uh, these uh, sort of metaphors and, and filters to to think of of, of the social structure can be very helpful. Um, yeah, I think it's it's it really important as we you know we talk in the new year about um, because the the media is promoting stuff, material information that the government is putting out about people need their booster shots and you know time to do this and then you pretend now I see a new wave of promotion to give kids you know these new vaccines. Uh, it's it's. Uh, I, <laughs> um, it's important, I think, to remember that um, uh, that yes, people don't read, and it's hard to convince them of things. But 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 some people are are naturally skeptical and and mm. hesitant, and uh, there's no option, there's no alternative. You have to try to teach people. Sometimes it's incredibly hard because as I say, this is a society that ostracizes people and mm. shuns people. Oh, you're a conspiracy theorist. Oh, you're a crazy Maoist. Oh, you're a, you know, you, you think Putin, you're a stooge for Putin. I mean, this level of stupidity, you know, that is like, gives my brain like vapor lock. I can't, I, you know, and yet, and yet, you have to try to incrementally baby steps, baby steps, you know, and 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 try to get people to listen a little bit because I think that's what the project is. Um, and and if you don't have that, because I used to think of art that way, you know, <laughs> back when I was able to do art, um, that that art awakened people to other ways of thinking. That it was a, a you know, that's what was mimetic and and transformative in the artistic experience and uh boy that idea has just been driven out of of this the culture entirely now so anyway okay i'm now i'm rambling hiroyuki corey yeah corey go ahead corey the uh, microphone <laughs> Corey, sorry, just, sorry, it's noisy in my house on. today. Just leave it on. It's noisy in my house yeah. today. Okay, so I just wanted to add on to what you were saying about being called Putin stooge. So I'm not sure how many decades ago um, 
automatically, if you were taking the positions you take today, people would have automatically just, um, you know, they would have recognized that you're anti-imperialist, right? But today it's not that you're, um, yeah. you know, serious sympathizer, you're like, um, you know, the stooge or whatever, you're mm -hmm. like really, really bad person. And so that that's gone. And again, reframing, right? Repackaging it by the establishment and then put out through the nonprofit and industrial complex with media, right? All functions is one big system. You know, I always refer to the nonprofit industrial complex as an army because it literally is the amount of people within it really constitutes the largest army on earth. And they can create like a completely false zeitgeist, you know, with their power just by sharing a single a single, you know, meme, mem, right, you call right, it, John. Right, right. Um, so yeah, no. anyway, yeah, there's that. And then I just wanted to add about on those islands that we were talking about earlier, the net zero islands. I mean, this is nothing new. They've said for years that a lot of countries um, have already achieved net zero. So it's not about achieving net zero. It's about, um, you know, getting these funds, getting the legislation in place to get the funds. We lost Corey. You went quiet. Okay. Um, am I? Am I? Am yeah, I? Now you're, okay, now you're okay. back. Now you're back. Yeah, the, these countries, if you look more closely, um, nothing has changed. I mean, the corporations haven't stopped emitting, right? Pollution or carbon, nothing has changed except for they've taken ownership and um, possession of land, right? And displace more people. And if you look closely, I'm sure you're going to find new debt for nature swaps in there as well. Until you know, probably a decade from now, you'll you will have corporations actually buying whole countries. <laughs> I mean, it's yeah, not no. out of the realm. Yeah. No, but this is why this is why studying history is kind of important. It's the the whole climate thing, and it's so transparent now at this point. But it's like buying indulgences from the you know yeah. the medieval Vatican. Um, so, so we'll, you know, we'll just, <laughs> but except that they get to offset their, you know, the, their sins onto, you know, Comoros or somewhere. <laughs> um, it, it really is that it's going to, it is, we are, we are seeing the reinstatement of both fascism, but a, but a particular kind of, you know, fascist monarchy court who was that foreign the, the some um ukrainian official diplomat um i don't know what his title was was being interviewed the other day and uh, yesterday and he said well wh what we need to beat russia is for ukraine to become a monarchy <laughs> now maybe you know he was three vodkas into his lunch at that point but um but, but it's a very telling remark because I think we're seeing the rehabilitation of fascism. We're also seeing the rehabilitation of, of the royal courts against which revolutions were fought, you know, um, whether it's the Romanovs or, or uh, whoever, uh, you know, the, the fiefdoms in, in China the, or the dictatorships like Bautista and all the various butchers that worked um, in various countries for the United States, mm -hmm. these client states. But we're seeing a nostalgia for 
Aristotle. It's, it's like people want that back. Mm. Um, and and mm. and I mentioned the you know the, the Kantowitz book, The King's Two Bodies, which is a very important book. Uh, that's what I'm sensing. If people want that back, they don't want to abolish the monarchy. They loved Harry and Meghan and they wish Charles would welcome them back. And they, they wish they could have tea on the lawn at Versailles, you know, uh, and, and the white knight balls for the Romanoffs also wonderful and romantic. People want that. Um, and, and I think they'll settle for, it's like Philip K. Dick novel, man, eat the candy, chew. And um, you can experience it all on screen in the metaverse. You can be part of the royalty. That's what, that's one of the underlying um, themes running through all this shit. And it's, it's very creepy and very disturbing. And, and um, we could talk at this point about Again, you know, artificial wombs and gender reassignment and all of that, because that's denial of death. I mean, technology itself, in a sense, is denial of death. But um, okay, I'm I'm the Johan, and then here uh, okay. you Yeah, sure. And I think that's a very, very, very good framing of, of this entire situation, especially in insofar as as. Social the growth of social media is probably predicated to to quite a great extent on the proximity you get to experience in relation to celebrities and and well the, the new royals the new upper classes. That's and a great. There's point. a lot yeah. of these. Yeah, maybe 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 that's a. And there's also a lot of this this let them eat cake nonsense from from our royal loyalist newspapers this this uh, week. I saw I, I think it, there were two op eds really recklessly calling for. Well, regime change in, in Russia is the only way to stop the war and, and attain a, a lasting peace. And, and that's, I mean, it's, it's, it's such insanity, you can't even. But, but I just thought that, you know, as, as card-carrying Russian agents and, and stooges, it, it would be <laughs> fitting if, if we quoted our, our great master and, and leader, Vladimir Putin, in this episode. <laughs> I think it's a, it's a relevant text here. So he says, your people do not yet feel an impending sense of danger that worries me. Can't you see the world is being pulled in an irreversible direction? Meanwhile, people pretend that nothing is going on. I don't know how to get through to you anymore. I think it's from, from last, last year, summer. Yeah. No, it's remarkable. I mean, he has spoken that way on several occasions where he actually sounds like a human being, you know, <laughs> and find me an American politician that sounds like a human being. You can't. Um, and, and you can see, you can look, you know, you can see there's a little tiny dot of fear in Putin's eyes, not from Ukraine, but, but because the world is sinking into, into complete madness, you know, and a, a sort of, self-destructive madness that's that death instinct yeah. this inertia yeah. there's a dialectic with inertia with that desire to return to stasis um it's really complicated and and outside the scope of a podcast here and i and i wrote about in a recent blog post a little bit but um it it, it coincides it aligns with mass conformity um and and uh, uh a strange kind of numbness toward the world around you, toward nature, to the idea of nature, and um, that that 
you can read Adorno on his idea of second nature. And, uh, but a lot of people have touched on it, certainly a lot of Marxist um, philosophers have touched on it and, and, is, we, and psychoanalysts. I mean, um, the, the, that all those early guys around Freud from um, Beneschel to Simmel to, to um, Roheim, uh, should be read now. People need to go back and read those guys. That's what I think, um, because they were astoundingly prophetic, in fact. Um, okay, let's get to final thoughts. Uh, Hiroyuki? I, or anything else for that matter? Right. I, I just wanted to uh, add uh, about art, because, uh, I mean, I keep repeating this, but uh, I do see a lot of what we have been talking about, uh, like demonization of Russia and uh, uh, strict adherence to the uh, vaccine measures and um, uh, the, the also the back in the Ukraine as uh, the US government would tell you to. And um, those things are really prevalent. And um, what I've been, uh, theorizing kind of is that it's not like um, artists are, um, you know, it's not like they're losing the ability to connect dots. I think they do uh, use their brain to um, come up with the narratives that make sense. But, but we have this situation with the accumulation of uh, wealth and destruction of social institutions alongside with it, and also strengthening of the uh, imperial framework because of the uh, propaganda and the indoctrination. And um, also like capital, um, all those things are happening through capitalized institutions and institutional art is hugely capitalized. And yeah. being in the field is, I mean, you're structurally conditioned every minute of being an artist you know where's the money coming from where are you gonna yeah. have a show who should you talk to what kind of critics we have and everything we are um um encouraged to in get involved has to do with imperial framework so uh, we are basically trained to live in this uh mindset the framework and what yeah, happens of course all the time yeah yeah, yeah. All so the time. i think what's going on is that you know artists artists do connect dots and you know come up with creative ideas and uh, uh their imaginations are superior i would think but what they do is uh they come up with ways to be uh free within the framework so um and they're very good at doing that so they become very very good uh apologists of imperial framework well By... there's two things that 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 go on there i don't mean to interrupt you but, but because this is like a crucial thing with art and god we could do another three hours on art right but great artists know how to exist in that framework and still create meaningful art, right? Because 
part of what they create then becomes about that relationship. Right. Um, um, Dostoevsky, in one sense, did that, but you could go back to to, to Velasquez or Goya or something. You know, uh, they did paintings for the royal court for the church, but managed to not make them the paintings the church thought they were buying, right? Um, but so it's tricky. But I think that's 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 artists are never outside the society they live in. They're always within that society, and you right. have to try to do it. But but I grant you, I think if this was your point, I grant you that that the the coercive restrictive force with which artists have to live today is has has maybe never been as powerful as as it is right now well, it, it's, it's sort of hard. it's sort of like um 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 artists probably had idea to be really uh free to be uh connected to uh humanity in purest ways and uh but but i think what's going on today is sort of like um uh coming up with ways to be uh like free range chickens <laughs> you, you know you know you, you're gonna have to be free but within the cage so well but i mean that's how i this feel is, yeah, yeah no and you're right but this is the loss of the avant-garde again right? oh yeah 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 I mean, yeah because totally. this is this is that's who that's who used to have your back in a way if you were an artist right you had a community and um that community's gone and and it's true for social critics and whistleblowers and dissidents of you know political theories for people like Corey and all of us um there there's a very very tiny almost non-existent uh community to, to help you and uh, because people are terrified to, to make waves, people are terrified to, um, to, to color outside the lines. They just, they just don't do it anymore. And, and artists, I mean, God, you know, rock for Ukraine, Mick Jagger and Patti Smith. Fuck, <laughs> these, fuck these people, just fuck them. Um, okay, final thoughts, final thoughts. Everybody turn off the mute button. I would just add, building on what Haruyuki was saying and back to those islands that we were discussing, the imperial framework, this is a, the focus on nature via um, climate change is a major expansion of the imperial framework. Like it's a massive, yeah. massive expansion. And those islands, I think it said the first six um, net, net zero islands uh, or countries, I can't even remember now that article. We can post it to the um, yeah. under the podcast. Those could be considered the first, um, so, you know, six official conquests, right, of this yeah. new um, type of imperialism. And the, yeah. you know, not to mention those impoverished um, states. They didn't create <laughs> any kind of contribution towards any kind of ecological crises, right? No, um, they're no, impoverished. No, no. Oh, it's ridiculous. Oh, it's just grotesque, you know, it's just, um, you know, that, that white colonial, um, the white savior mindset remains very, very prevalent in, in even young people in Europe. 
a sense that that they need to go to the global south to help you know teach and help and volunteer because gosh those people need help um those people need you to stay the fuck out of their country mostly you know and leave them alone and stop invading them and exploiting them and no john they need experimental mrna vaccines for their (laughs) children yeah yeah or bill gates i just final footnote before I forget on Bill Gates. Um, <laughs> Bill Gates is like the worst dressed public figure of the year, right? Um, he, he, and he keeps dressing worse and worse and worse, which makes me think his wife used to dress him um, because now on his own, he can't manage it. And I made some remark the other day on, on social media somewhere. I said, he looks like a shoe clerk at a strip mall you know, um, which was a real insult to shoe clerks. Uh, But it's so perverse. This is one of the richest men in the world, one of the two or three richest men in the world. And, and, you know, um, he could not possibly dress in worse fitting suits. His shirt is always half out. It looks like the top, you know, few, uh, top part of his zipper hasn't been zipped all the way up. You know, his belt loop is too long. The belt's too long for the last loop. Everything is off. So I've, I, my personal theory is that it's absolutely intentional. And, and this is some like sexual fetish of Gates. That's <laughs> with this. Some, someday we will find out what it is. I mean, the mind, the mind recoils in horror, I realize. But, um, <laughs> but, but someday we will discover that. Okay, last thoughts quickly from everybody. I already gave mine. <laughs> okay, Johan? No, I, I don't have anything else, I think. Oh, well, yeah, just an ad. So, so Pfizer is coming with, with mRNA vaccines for the RSV virus and, and for the flu virus as well. Thank you. Yeah, well, I think um, Hiroyuki. Well, I'm fine. Yeah, I, okay. I just hope uh, Varun is going to come back next week. I mean, uh, next. Yeah, time. me too. Me too. I miss. Yeah. I miss having Varun's yeah. voice here. Um, I will just say that that maybe next podcast we can talk about this more, um, because now we're into the new year and it's winter and it's flu season and you know, a football player dropped dead on the field last night uh, in Cincinnati in the football uh, NFL game. Um, just don't see that every day. Uh, and we saw the cover of what Mag Harvard. It's one of those magazines. It's it's heart attack season. Oh, what the? F- <laughs> it's heart. Now it's a seasonal illness. Heart attacks. What kind of headline is that? Seriously, like it's everything is causing these illnesses except the elephant in the room, you know, that nobody will talk Mm. about in media, because I guess somewhere, um, you know, the the funding from the people that fund these media outlets say don't don't mention that, you know, that's all I can think, which again makes me some form of conspiracist, but. but I, but it's hard because different countries have been hit um, in very different ways by excess mortality and, and their contradictory numbers everywhere you look. Norway here, for example, there's been, there's nothing. I don't think Norway was hit very hard at all. I don't see many, some people have side effects, clearly, 
there's, you know, um, the women in particular, but um, other places have been hit with, you know, waves of erectile dysfunction, um, uh, you know, heart attacks, every kind of myocarditis, everything has, you know, spikes in this, so as Corey mentioned earlier, and then the distorting of flu deaths are being, you know, it's all COVID. So it becomes very hard to make sense of, of any country's statistics. It's virtually impossible. And maybe this conference will touch on that and there will be people to speak to you to the, to the inconsistencies and confusions, I don't know. But, um, but that's one of the important, um, important topics that we should probably raise next time. And, and when we do, Johan and I will be at this conference, I'm speaking and, and we will give you guys a report on it um, also, because I hope there is, there's a panel discussion I'm taking part in, and I hope there is some real uh, lively discussion about the political aspects of all of this, not just the medical details. Right. Uh, so, but we shall see. All right, thank you everyone. Uh, Varun, next time. Thanks to Jack Lippman in California. Thank you, Johan, Corey, Hiroyuki. Uh, and um, we'll, we'll get that uh, in a couple of weeks, I hope. Okay. Bye.